Well, we're in the middle of a battle. And there's a battle happening right now. It's bigger than World War I. It's bigger than World War II. It's a battle that rages. It's unseen. But it's a battle nonetheless. And it's a battle that's been from of old. It's the battle of good versus evil. Now, we all know it, right? We can all feel it. It's in every movie we see. There's good versus evil. It's every story we read. We see that. But the impact is so substantial on every person, every individual, every marriage, every family, every community, every country, every generation deals with this battle. And sometimes we depict the battle as a little harmless, you know, devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other and going back and we think it's so benign. But deep down inside, we know it's not. Deep down inside, we understand the struggle. We feel the struggle. We feel the tension. And many times we wonder, God, where are you? Right? And why do bad things happen to good people? God, why do you allow evil in this world? Why don't you just step in and stop it? Even the psalmist in the Bible said, why do the wicked prosper? We've thought it. We've been there. But what do we do about it? How do we respond in the midst of this battle? What's our plan? This morning we're beginning a a great series. I really believe. I'm excited about this series. It's a series called Battle Plan. And we're talking about this battle between good and evil. And how do we respond in the midst of this? Because the battle rages all around us. And what's our plan? Do we even recognize it? Do we stand up against it? And what do we do? Our theme verse from this series is going to be from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And we're going to put that up here on the screen. And I want you to see that this morning. It's right here. In fact, let's read that together. Are you ready? One, two, three. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the Bible is very clear to say, listen, our, our struggle is not just against flesh and blood. There is a bigger battle that is happening. Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about when you get in an argument, maybe with your spouse, or maybe a coworker, or, or maybe somebody else, and you're like, it's flesh and blood. I mean, you're having this discussion, and all of a sudden, it just escalates. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, whoa, wow, what happened? Where'd that come from? You know? I mean, we were just talking about this, and all of a sudden, it just went to there, and you're like... What happened? Well, there's an enemy, right? He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to succeed in your marriage. He doesn't want you to succeed as a parent. He doesn't want you to succeed in your career. There's an enemy there. Have you ever been watching the news and you just see something happen? You go, that's evil. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. That was just pure evil. It's there. It exists. And so what is our plan, (laughs) How do we live as believers? How do we live as followers of Christ in this world and in this battle? If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going back to the very beginning. And this is going to be a four-part series. I encourage you not to miss a week in this because it's all going to build as we talk about this battle plan. and As we grow in our love for God and grow in our purpose in this world and why we're even here. You know, why doesn't God just take us home and we can enjoy heaven and we don't have to go through all this in this life? That, that God does have a bigger plan and God does have a bigger purpose. As you go back to the beginning, uh, I want to talk about just for a moment here kind of the origin of evil. Where did all this come from, right? Because the Bible opens up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, 
God. <laughs> so we know God has been there from the beginning. It's all about him. It's his story. So where did evil come from? How does it exist? Well, we know if you look at the unity of Scripture, and you go to Isaiah chapter 14, or you go to Ezekiel chapter 28, or you look in the book of Revelation, we know that at one point, Satan was an angel. And we know that Satan wasn't content with just serving God, right? He didn't just kind of go for the whole, I'm going to serve God, worship God thing. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be on the throne. He wanted to be in control, in the pride, and the arrogance. And he was cast down out of heaven. You, get, you read this, right? And he's cast down, and, and many of the demons are cast down with him, fallen angels, and, and it, the war begins. And you think, well, why? You know, why? I mean, why does he bring us into this? What do we have to do with this? What? Well, think about this. Satan can't do anything to get to God, right? God is sovereign. God is in control. So what does Satan do? He goes after God's children. It's one thing if you do something to me or you say something to me, but, but as a parent, you know, if you go after my kids, well, that's a whole different deal. And so Satan realizes, hey, I can't get to God, but I can go after God's kids. I can go after the ones he loves. And if I can distract them, right, and if I can move them away from God, hey, it will break God's heart. And so that's what Satan does. Pick up in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? You see, before when God created man, God created Adam and Eve. And they're in the garden and God created man. Why? For a relationship with him. And everything's great. I mean, you got this great relationship going. And Satan comes along. Did God really say? The rationalization, right? Really? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So the woman comes along and says, Well, yeah, that's exactly what God said. We know God's commands. <laughs> Many of us, we grew up. We, we, we know what God wants us to do. And God created this beautiful garden. He gave them all these trees. You can pick from any of these trees, right? But this one tree, just stay away from it. Just this one. And immediately they're drawn to this tree. Satan says, verse 4, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing what? Good and evil. See, before they just knew good, right? They were with God. They were in a right relationship. And now all of a sudden, Satan's going, hey, there's more out there appealing to her pride. See, pride's the mother of all sins. And in your life and in my life, that is our biggest struggle, isn't it? Pride. Being arrogant. I don't want to do things your way, God. I want to do it my way. I'm in control. This is what I want. He appeals to her pride. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, right, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. Now, temptation's not sin. And we're going to come back to that throughout. Temptation's not a sin. You can be tempted. Jesus was tempted. We'll see that in a little bit. 
But it's your response. It's what you do with that temptation. So the woman's tempted here to sin, and then she looks at the fruit, and she says, wow, that looks pretty good. I want that, right? Lust is, I must have it now. Lust, I want it now. And whether it's in a sexual context or whether it's in materialism, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'll go into debt to just have more and more, but I want it now. And she goes and she takes of it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, before, it didn't bother them, right? They were fully known, and they were fully accepted. They were in perfect relationship with one another. They were in perfect relationship with God. And all of a sudden, when sin comes in, they realize, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the shame enters into the world. And it is through the relationships here. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Right? Hey, let's hide from God, you know. He won't find us behind this bush, you know. It's like, he made that bush. You know, it's like we're going to hide from God. And how often do we do that in our own lives? How often do we not be authentic with God or be vulnerable with God and just say, hey, I'm going to kind of hide over here. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? A chance to confess, a chance to repent. And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Now, if you underline your Bible, underline that word afraid because it's the first time we see it. Because of sin, fear comes in. Fear comes in. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Come on, man, step up and be a man, you know. <laughs> Take responsibility. What does he do? He throws his wife under the bus. Hey, it wasn't my fault, right? I mean, I didn't do anything. It was her fault. You made her, God. Actually, it was your fault because you made her, right? The woman you made, she is the one who gave it to me. I mean, here he is. It's like, come on. Get some integrity. Get some character. Step up. But he doesn't do it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And she didn't take responsibility, right? She's like, no, no, it wasn't even my fault. It was the serpent. It was Satan. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and there's always consequences to sin. Don't miss this today. We don't like to talk about it a whole lot, but listen, there's always consequences to sin. See, sin takes you further than you want to go. It leaves you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. It just does. And there's always consequences there. Now, there's always grace. Praise God for grace and redemption. But there's consequences. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and there's consequences for all, because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This battle, this conflict. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Many of you women here are like, thanks, Eve. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of your field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. From dust you are and dust you will return. Before, you know, work, there wasn't the pain. There wasn't the toil. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now look at verse 21. This is powerful. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God made garments of skin. Now where did the garments of skin come from? An animal had to be killed. Right? See, the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. And an animal had to die so that it could cover their nakedness. A Savior had to die for us on a cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And because of His death, we are covered in His righteousness. We are made new. You see the grace of God even in the sin of man. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Knowing what? Good and evil. <laughs> he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now because of Christ, we do have eternal life. But before, God says no, because you're sinful, right? There is a price. The price has to be paid. The fact is this, guys. There's two ways, right? There's either his way or his way. It's good or it's evil. And a lot of times in our own pride and our own arrogance, we say, well, I want to live life my way. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be who I want to be. Well, <laughs> there's not. You're, you're choosing. And every decision you make and every decision I make is either drawing us closer to God or it's pushing us away. There's two ways. And this epic battle moves from the Old Testament, and it moves into the New Testament. And if you move over to Matthew chapter 4, first book, New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, in the end of Matthew chapter 3, is baptized. This begins his earthly ministry. Jesus is baptized at the age of 30. Some of you, God's calling you to be baptized. And you're like, man, I should have done it when I was younger. Well, Jesus was 30 when he was baptized. It, it was this mile marker beginning his journey. And so he's baptized, and then Matthew chapter 4 picks up verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You see, after significant spiritual moments in our lives, many times temptation comes. Jesus had this great moment, right? And then he's led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Uh, you know this. A lot of times we have great church, great worship. It's awesome. It's so exciting. And then it's like you go home and you're like, oh, right there, the temptation comes. You know, it's right there at that moment. You're like, oh, I'm just on fire for the Lord. And now it's like back right here. Temptation happens. But again, temptation is not a sin. Temptation is an opportunity for us to choose what is right. Jesus was tempted. After, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Temptation also comes a lot of times when we're physically tired. You know, if you work all day as a husband, you know, you're a father and you come home, that's when you're vulnerable. You're stressed out, you're tired physically. A lot of times at night, you know, mom or grandma or, you know, things are just crazy and busy. That's a lot of times when those fights happen. Those are a lot of times because you're vulnerable at that. And you've got to think about, man, I need to guard myself. I need to guard my heart. I'm walking into a time where I am vulnerable and we can have a difficulty. And here's Jesus. 
It says then in verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now notice the temptation, right? Pride. Same thing that, that Satan was cast out of heaven for, the pride, the arrogance. Same thing he comes to Eve with, the pride, the arrogance. Hey, come on, there's more. Come on, what about you? He comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, make sure everybody knows it. Make sure everybody sees you. Look, look at that. Boy, that pride. Pride's the mother of all sins. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, in the second temptation, Satan uses scripture. Notice that, right? But he takes it out of context. And a lot of times, man, that's how culture formed, you know, because people take scripture out of context and go, well, look, this is what the Bible says. But Jesus goes, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Here's the unity of scripture. Here's what God says. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor. All this I give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, what's the temptation here? It's to take a shortcut, right? He's like, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to endure all that suffering. You just bow down and worship me and all this will be yours. How often are we tempted with a shortcut? How often are we tempted to say, hey, just cheat on your taxes. It's no big deal. You'll get rich. You know what? Just cheat on your expense accounts. Just cheat on your spouse. You've got desires. You've got needs. Meet them yourself. And the temptation comes. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, exclamation point. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. This epic battle, right? We have seen it. Old Testament, New Testament. And now the battle comes to you and to me. This is our day. This is our generation. None of us are immune. You know, it's coming our way. And how do we respond? What do we do? Now, there's three truths that we have to remember as we look at this epic battle. Three truths that I want you to know. The first truth is this. God created us with free will. God created us with free will. God is sovereign over all creation. Don't make any mistake about that. But God's sovereignty and free will are not mutually exclusive. Okay? God created Eve with a choice. She could choose to accept God. Now, why does God give us a choice? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, he is God. He is sovereign. He creates us. Why doesn't he just force us to love him? Why doesn't he just say, you know, I'm going to create you, and I'm not going to give you a choice? Because would that be love? I mean, really, would that be love? No. See, love is only love when you choose to love. I mean, you want your spouse to love you. You want your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You want them to love you because they choose to love you. You don't want them to be a robot. God created us, and he gave us a choice. He wants us to choose. He wants us to follow. He wants us to fall in love with him. That's why it tells us, and this is important, in James, James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Every decision you make, every thought that you have, you have got to say, I'm going to take that captive for the glory of God. Because it starts, right? It starts small. But you have a choice. You have a decision. How are you going to respond? What decisions are you going to make? There's an old saying that says, you know, sow a thought, right? Reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. And so you come back and say, okay, it starts here. God gives you this choice. What choice are you going to make? The second truth that we have to remember in this battle is this. God grows our character in times of crisis. God grows our character in times of crisis. If we didn't have crisis, if we didn't have challenges, if we didn't have struggles, we wouldn't have to grow. God's goal for you is to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. You know, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, when iron sharpens iron, there's some banging, there's some hitting, there's some crisis, there's some things that are happening. It's been said that everybody is either in a crisis, going into a crisis, or coming out of a crisis. All of us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And a lot of times we come into trouble or difficulties in our lives. We're like, God, where are you? And God's like, I'm with you. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus went through hard times. Jesus went through challenges. It's in the hard times that we grow. That's why it says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kind. And you're like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kind. Knowing that God is at work. Knowing that God is working in your heart, your life, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It's the refiner's fire. It's how God shapes us. You see, there's a whole misnomer about marriage. A lot of times you get married and you think God gives us marriage just to make us happy. No, God gives us marriage to make us holy. God gives us marriage to make us holy. And there's this refining that happens in your relationships. And whether you're married or with your friends or your roommates or in community, that's what church is about. There's this refining in your life as God is at work, as God is shaping your character, as God is molding you. Here's the third truth that we have to remember in this battle. It's this. God will win in the end. God will win in the end. So keep an eternal perspective. I've read the end of the book, church. God wins, all right? I mean, God wins. Praise God. I mean, we ought to be fired up about that. So here's the deal. We know the outcome. We know God wins. So keep an eternal perspective. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal reward that far outweighs them all. And you may be thinking, well, what I'm going through right now is not light, right? I mean, it's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. God goes, I know, I know, I know. And that's why I'm with you in the midst of it. But remember your light and momentary troubles are achieving for you something way bigger. There is an eternal reward that comes. And your 70, 80, 90 years on this earth will pale in comparison to what is waiting for you in eternity. And God's going, you hold on to me. You stay strong in me. And in this epic battle of good versus evil, you hold on. 
Because I'm at work in you and I love you. So how do we live in the midst of this battle? How do we live in the midst of it? Step one is this. Step one is recognition. <laughs> recognition. First Peter tells us in First Peter chapter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Recognize that there's a battle here. Recognize when you have an argument or a disagreement that maybe there's something more here. Recognize that you have an enemy that doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to succeed in your marriage. He doesn't want you to succeed as a parent. He doesn't want you to succeed in your career. He doesn't want you to succeed in God's purpose for you. Recognize that. Understand that. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now here's what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis said, Humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they do not take him seriously enough. See, C.S. Lewis said all of us, we can fall into two errors. Either we take the devil too seriously, right, and we see the devil in everything. When I was growing up, I, some of you may remember this, but, but, you know, there was this whole movement that the devil was all in rock and roll and all in music and everything, and people would come, and they would come to your church, and they would play records backwards. And this, they would go like, this is backward masking, and, you know, you would listen to a song, you're like, I heard that song all the time, and then they would play it backwards and be like, Satan, Satan, you know, like... <laughs> Never heard that, you know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but, you know, okay, it's right there. You know, Satan, you know, like, weird stuff. I mean, like, okay, like, all right, come on, man. You know, and I think that's what C.S. Lewis is saying, is that some people just take it, the devil too seriously. I mean, it's like, oh, come on. But then he says, hey, we cannot take the devil seriously enough sometimes either. We can forget that there's a battle. We can forget that there's a struggle. So step number one is recognition. Hey, maybe there's something bigger happening here. Maybe there's something going on. And step number two, step number two is to come up with a plan. Come up with a plan. Now, I love Under Armour. Under Armour's theme, you know, protect this house. And we do that physically, right? Physically, we come up with a plan for our house. We're going to protect it. We're going to put in smoke alarms. We're going to have a security system. You know, we're going to have Termex come out and spray for termites because, you know, we're going to protect our house. But what do you do spiritually? I mean, we spend a lot of time on the physical. But what do you do on the spiritual? How are you protecting? What's your battle plan? So in the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this. We're going to develop a battle plan. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's the four P's of a battle plan. I want you to get this if you're taking notes today. Number one is this. Pray. Pray. You see, it says, although we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We're called to pray. 
When you get in an argument, when you get in a disagreement, when you get in a fight, it's not just that we're going to physically respond, right? We're not just going to go, hey, I'm going to make sure I win this argument against my spouse. I'm going to make sure that people see me at work. I'm going to make sure that people know me. I don't just fight the way the world does. No, 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 no. I start to pray. I start to pray. So how's your prayer life? The Bible talks about pray without ceasing. And a lot of times we think about prayer and we go, well, I got to go, you know, and I you know, get on my knees and I have this place and I go and I pray. And that's important. But when you and I learn that it's an ongoing relationship with the Lord, that you and I can start to pray, even in the midst of a, of a disagreement, and a disagreement's happening and there's this battle going on and we go, God, give me self-control. God, just guard the words that come out of my mouth. God, speak through me right here, right now. You could be praying in your mind and in your heart right there in the midst of it. There's power in prayer. I'm telling you guys, there's power in prayer. Through prayer, you see God enter into a situation. You see lives change. You see transformation happen. There is power in prayer. There's power in the praying wife. There's power in a praying mom. There's power in a praying dad. There's power when you go and you pray over your friends. There's power when you pray at community group. There's power when we as a church get together and pray. There is power that's unleashed that shakes the heavens. Prayer. And your battle plan, number one, is pray. Number two is this, is to prepare. To prepare. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a football game happening tonight. I don't know if it, there hasn't been much marketing or advertising about it, but it, it's just kind of flown under the radar, I know. But I just got to give you a heads up. There's the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. They're playing tonight. Can you believe that? And listen, when those guys go on the field tonight, there's not going to be one player that goes out there and goes, now what does the playbook say? I don't really know. I, I don't really have a good handle on what play I'm supposed to run. I don't really have a good handle on where I'm supposed to be. These guys are going to go out there. They're prepared. Everything has been preparing them for this moment, right? Now the sad part is in about five or six years, we're going to go like, okay, who won the Super Bowl in 2016? We're not even going to remember <laughs> I mean, who won in 2011? I don't even know. You know, I mean, it's like, because that is their moment. But you guys, listen, we've got a lifetime. And God says, prepare. Prepare. Jesus, every temptation that came to him, how did he respond? Scripture. Every single temptation, how did he respond? Scripture. He said, you know what? Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, the Bible says this. God's word says this. God has spoken, and I know this. Prepare. See, that's why it's important when you're at church. That's why it's important when you're at a community group. That's why it's important when you're in a Bible study. That's why it's important at home to take some time and to read through, to take a daily step and to read God's word. Pray, prepare. Number three is this, protect. Protect. You know, I love how it says here in 2 Corinthians, it says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, this is where the battle is won or lost. Right here and right here. This is where the battle is won or lost. Every thought. Protect what comes in your mind. Protect what goes into your heart. So often we just allow stuff in, right? We allow stuff into our home through Netflix or, you know, through, I mean, through the internet. We just allow stuff into our home that we would go, you know, I would never allow that normally in a home. But, but, but somehow we forget and, and it takes root in our mind. Guys, guys, listen, this is so important for us. We are visually stimulated and the stuff we allow in our mind sticks in our mind. 
You've got to protect here. You've got to protect women. You're more emotionally stimulated. You've got to protect what you allow into your heart and your mind. There's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. And the Bible says you be ready. And then number four is this, progress. Progress. It, it says here, and I think this is so important. We demolish every stronghold. You see, as believers, we know we win. As believers, we know that Christ is in us. As believers, we don't have to live just defensively and stay back and go, oh no, you know what, there's good and evil out there and I'm going to hide here. No, we go forward and we advance the gospel in our day and our time and our generation. We have the incredible call of God on us. Jesus gave us a great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. We don't just sit back. We go forward. We progress. And we go in the name of God. When I was in college, between my junior year and my senior year, uh, I went to study in London. And we had this incredible opportunity to study. And we stayed at Westminster Abbey. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but Westminster Abbey is just incredible. And we stayed at what's called the Little Dean's Yard. And it's around back behind Westminster Abbey. And so at night we would be out, you know, in London and we would come back in and there was a guard at the gate. And we would walk past the guard and we'd say, hey, we'd go back in, you know, and we would stay there. Well, at night the coolest thing was that we could go walk around inside Westminster Abbey. And it was pretty freaky, i got to tell you, because you know, it's dark and it's kind of like not in a museum kind of thing. But, I mean, we were in there. And, but the coolest thing was you're walking by these tombs. And here's these kings. You know, King Henry, right, the first, or King Edward the first, or Edward the third. And, and people that are buried there. And you're looking at, you know, Sir Isaac Newton's tomb. And you're, you're looking at Charles Dickens' and, uh, tomb. And... And I remember just walking around and having this surreal feeling and, and, and looking at the statues and seeing the swords and, and thinking about these knights and these kings and these battles that they would fight. And there was this one tomb that always stood out to me and I came across and I read this and it, it just said this on the tombstone. It said, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. I gotta tell you, I would just stand there. I mean, I remember this. I mean, it was years ago. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. And overall, as we talk about this battle of good versus evil, hey, it's not for us to get all enamored with Satan and the devil and his tactics. It's for us to fall more in love with God. It's for us to be drawn closer to the heartbeat of God. And when you and I just know God, man, I want to tell you, it's the things in the world that begin to disappear. They begin to go because we realize that God is for me. God wants me to succeed, right? God wants my marriage to succeed. God wants me to achieve my purpose in life. God wants me to achieve being a great dad. God wants me to win. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I mean, if God is for me, who can be against me? What about you? Do you fear man so much or do you fear Satan so much that, man, you've just gotten enamored at working for the favor of other people or in your life? Are you so in love with God that it's like, man, I'm just going to hold on to him. And there's a battle that's raging around me, but I am staying true to him. I'm taking captive every thought. 
and I'm holding on with all my life to a God who is for me. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And guys, we're just going to move into a response time. And This is you and the Lord. This is you and the Lord. Is there an area of your life where you feel like, man, Satan's getting a foothold? Is there an area of your life where you just go, God, I've been afraid. <laughs> I've been living with fear. And today I want to come and I want to confess that to you. How's your marriage? How are you as a parent? Do you have people around you that are encouraging you? Our worship team is going to play. We're going to have some of our A6 men and some spiritual leaders that will just be kind of around the sides. If you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, we're going to have the altar open. This is just you. Maybe you want to pray individually. Maybe you want to pray with your spouse. Maybe you want to pray with a friend. But let's respond to the Lord right now. Father God, here we are, your disciples. And God, we know we're in the midst of a battle. There's a battle for our hearts. There's a battle for our minds. There's a battle for our kids. There's a battle for our country. There's a battle. And God, we don't wage war like the world does. We come spiritually and we pray. And we demolish strongholds in the name of Jesus. And we see redemption and hope and grace and life come in the name of Jesus. And we find faith and courage in the name of Jesus. And so this morning, God, we just want to pray that you would come and fill us. And that our faith would be in you and in you alone. Speak to us right now, Father. Speak to us right now.